The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Rev. Dan Beckett. And together we discuss the ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. Now, as today's show is an interactive discussion, if you're listening live, you can call in with your comments and questions. The number is 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. Facebook users, you can also message us during the show from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner, and your anonymity is always respected. So loneliness is an epidemic in our society today. We spend hours on email, text, and social media, perhaps in front of a television or some other screen. And so although we interact all day long, we still don't feel connected. How do we ease that loneliness and become truly present to and for the people in our lives? We'll begin today by sharing our own experiences of isolation in our addiction and then move into the solution of harmony and fellowship. And after the break, we'll share exactly how harmony and fellowship worked in our lives to set us free. So, Lonnie, I suspect that we 12-steppers all know a thing or two about isolation. What was your experience of it in the what do we call the bad old days? Well, you know, when I reflect back on how did, how did I get there? How did I end up where I was? And I can see that there was a progression. You know, there was a progression that started in, um, in my youth that had to do with feeling different than. And, and, you know, I mean, there were all kinds of reasons why my perception was that I was different than somebody else. But the, my perception was that those differences weren't celebrated, that they were, um, ridiculed or that they were um, made fun of or they were diminished, uh, you know. And so I think for me that that feeling of isolation and separation started way back then before I ever had anything to do with, with alcohol or drugs. Yeah, I know for me that that's true. Um, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about the isolation that I experienced is that I'm, I'm an introvert by nature. And so I'm sort of wired for uh, spending time alone, for being oriented toward my, you know, inner experience anyway. 
Um, I, one way I know I'm an introvert is uh, when I when I meet an extrovert, still sometimes I have to sort of shake my head and just remember that okay, you know, I, I can't I can't take this experience in only through an introvert's lenses. You know, I need to remember and understand. But there's part of me, you know, that that part of me that's still growing that wants to say, why are these people talking when it's not even necessary? That's being an introvert, and I think that that's sort of a you know, it's not the source of, but it's certainly a foundation, if you will, perhaps, of uh, feelings of isolation. Another piece for me was just feeling disconnected, you know, and, and some of it had to do with, um, I'm not exactly sure whether it was because of the, the what I just described about feeling different than, that I didn't feel like I was connected to anybody, but I had this general sense that it didn't really matter. I didn't really matter. What I did didn't really matter kind of feeling like nobody cares. You know, I had this this intellectual concept because people would say that they cared, but I didn't have this uh, feeling of being supported like it really made any difference. I remember that I always had, and again, I, I sort of attributed this um, to being an introvert, and I know some of it is. It's it's all It all overlaps in a way. But I always had a, a small number of really close friends. I, I never was part of a large network. I didn't know lots of people. I wasn't spending time and hanging around with a lot of people. It was usually one or two or maybe uh, three people that I felt connected to. And I was always more comfortable um, in a small group setting, say, than in a than in any kind of large group setting. So I think that that contributed as well. And again, I kind of chalk that up to, you know, there's a part of me that's kind of wired for uh, isolation, or at least when it, when I get out of balance, isolation is a real possibility. And, you know, I spent a lot of time feeling just uncomfortable. We talk about it in the program about feeling like our skin doesn't fit. You know, we, we try to live in our own skin. And part of that for me was learning that it wasn't safe to talk, wasn't safe to share who I was, it wasn't safe to share what I thought uh, or how I felt because of the dysfunctional humor that was around, you know, um, there was ridicule, there was sarcasm, there was, oh, I was just kidding after, after uh, mean and unnecessary things were said. And I can see it today as, as the uh, attempt at humor that it was, but for me, it was, it was pretty hurtful. And so I learned to be secretive. I learned not to share who I was. I learned that um, if I did, I opened myself up to be wounded. And so I just didn't want any part of that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I heard the phrase, it's been years now, sarcasm is murder. And when I first heard it, I thought, well, that seems kind of extreme. But now I think I really get it. Sarcasm is murder. It is a very damaging thing to do, just like you're expressing. You know, I can't... Uh, you know, uh, cut someone with a knife and then just hand them a Band-Aid. Oh, sorry, you know, I was just kidding. Here's a Band-Aid. You know, the damage is done uh, from that. I, I know that, um, and growing up, I moved around a lot, you know, maybe roughly every three years. And it always took me a long time to, to make a really good friend or a couple of friends in a new place. I mean, I would be acquainted with people. I would have people that I thought of as friends, but it, you know, kind of that best friend thing, you know, when we're kids, we think of, uh, or I did, the concept of having a best friend, a favorite song, favorite band, and all that. And it took me about a year, really, a year, 
to encounter and uh, develop a relationship with a friend that was that I felt genuinely close to. So, you know, that's all sort of in that same theme of of being uh, quiet and, and introverted and um, more comfortable in small groups is uh, was, I was slow to make good friends. You know, another aspect for me was that um, as a result of being fearful, afraid of people, not wanting to be vulnerable, um, uh, living in an unpredictable environment, I learned to play what I call let's pretend. Let's pretend that doesn't hurt. Let's pretend I'm okay. Let's pretend I understood what you were saying. You know, that I got the meaning underneath whatever coded language was being used. And so I learned how to play this let's pretend and cover up this, um, this, this with, with isolation, this um, woundedness that I carried within me. And, and so not sharing how I felt, not sharing what effect the world was having on me, put me in a pretty, pretty small box, you know, with my emotions. You know, now that you say that, I really identify with that. And I don't think I ever realized or even saw that that was true. I, I can see it now. So I had all these stories in my head as a result of this. You know, I, I developed this inner critic that was harsh and judgmental and, you know, was telling me how I didn't belong and I wasn't a part of. And I, I what do I think I'm doing? Why do I think I can contribute to that? And so all of those things, um, you know, I tried to counteract that. And I tried to counteract that by becoming a joiner, which was more of my let's, let's pretend. It's let's pretend that that's not true. Let's just go be a joiner. Let's just do the opposite. Let's dive in with both feet and pretend that I'm gregarious and open and vulnerable. And that just deepened the, the pit that I dug for myself. Because by the time I got through with all of that, I didn't even know who I was. I remember growing up that uh, being alone was never really a problem for me. In fact, it was preferable um, a lot of the time. And I didn't see uh, my desire to uh, be alone. I didn't see my kind of inherent comfort with being alone as a problem. And I'm not sure that it would have been a problem, but I do know that you mix, uh, when I mix an alcohol habit that became an addiction in, it absolutely became part of the problem. I don't think it's inherently problematic to uh, enjoy being alone, to be comfortable being alone. But man, you mix in uh, alcohol in the ways that I was drinking it. Yeah, that became a problem. Well, for me, alcohol became my solution. You know, it's the social lubricant. And by the time I got to college, you know, when I had all these feelings about being isolated and alone and these abandonment issues and this fear of people and what they, what are they going to think and what do they do in response to that, I, I was, uh, I would say, unskilled in, you know, making my way in the world in, in relationships, uh, you know, just friendships and things like that. And when I found alcohol, all of that went away. You know, it was like, oh, my gosh, this is it. You know, this just may, I can talk to people. I don't feel this severe sense of anxiety rising up in me. I can laugh at whatever they think is funny, you know, and and so that for a long while became my solution. You know, I, I'm exactly the same. And it's ironic how this solution uh, and it's funny that alcohol literally is a solution that this solution uh, just seemed to work so well. Exactly like you're saying, it, it seemed like 
the answer to all my problems. It seemed like it bridged all the gaps in my life, you know, and in, in, uh, making friends slowly, all of a sudden I was, uh, outgoing and connected and happy and, and, you know, feeling comfortable and all of that. Uh, and, uh, ironically, of course, that turns into being exactly the problem after a while. What was the solution? I mean, we even have a saying for it. It works till it doesn't. And man, it worked for me really well until it didn't. And then, man, it really didn't work really well. Went from great to the opposite of great. Yeah, it's really an insidious thing. And of course, you know, just by the nature of how insidious it is, we we don't detect what's going on, you know, as we start uh, going down the tubes, really. And so for me, you know, I found that I still... Um, I my be my behavior became more bizarre, and I started becoming um, I won't say ostracized, but excluded from certain activities and in certain groups of people, and not understanding why, because I was a blackout drinker and I did not know some of the things that went on after I'd had a few drinks. Yeah, I developed depression and anxiety as an adult, which of course further isolated me. Uh, I'm really grateful that I. I do not uh, experience depression and anxiety now. Uh, and so that's a you know huge positive change uh, from recovery. But so now that we know about this challenge of isolation, which we all seem to share so much of, what is the solution? Well, in unity, we affirm that all of creation, including all of humanity, is connected in a deep and meaningful way. And this is a core concept in new thought and in most Eastern spiritual traditions. And Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore encountered it through reading the work of Ralph Waldo Emerson, who had been studying the great Eastern spiritual holy texts. And what we in Unity call this deep connection is oneness. In our addiction recovery, oneness shows up as harmony and fellowship in our recovery communities. And that's what we want to focus on today. So what does harmony and fellowship look like in a recovery community or in any spiritual community, actually? How do we know when we're finding it? I experienced that very early on, uh, gratefully so, um, in my first home group. And I noticed that fellowship literally, fellowship can be as easy as just showing up and saying hi to a few people. I remember at first I was... um, very concerned that somebody would see me going into or coming out of a recovery meeting. You know, it felt like uh, the worst thing that could happen is somebody might know that I uh, had a problem with alcohol and that I was in recovery. And uh, of course, I, you know, took a deep breath and, and, uh, took the necessary steps and just decided it it would be okay. And I was doing it no matter what. And I probably didn't know anyone anyway. And I walk in the room and the, one of the very first people I see was one of the moms. uh, Our kids were in the same elementary school. One of the other moms from uh, Cub Scouts. I'm like, Oh, you have got to be kidding me. (laughs) That was my very first reaction. It's like, this is the worst thing that could happen within moments of that happening, the way that I was welcomed by her, the instant connection that we had, uh, man, you know, my biggest fear turned into one of the biggest upsides to me of being in recovery is this fellowship that literally all I got to do is show up. I could go to a town 
I've never been to before and find a meeting and walk in the door and I'm right in the middle of and experiencing and contributing to the fellowship. It's a wonderful thing. You know, it was it was later after I had walked into the rooms that I learned this phrase that we talk about, love and tolerance is our code. But I saw it in action when I walked in to my first meeting. I was walked in by my counselor, who happened to be a member of the program, and introduced to everybody. And they said, she's new. She's new. And everybody gave me their name. They gave me their phone number. They attempted to make me feel welcome. I had many of the same fears that you you described as well, but I, I didn't happen to know anybody. And after about six months, and I had found a sponsor there, I found my sponsor was going to a different group. So I started attending both groups. But the first time that I walked into that second group, three women welcomed me at the door and made, you know, got me coffee and told me, come over here and sit by me and, you know, asked me how long I'd been around. And, you know, I mean, they they called me by name. I mean, it was really um, a whole lot more than just tolerance, which is what I had been used to up to that point in time. It is remarkable, and I could go on for a long time about the how wonderful it is that we that we have this built into our communities, this fellowship that we talk about. Now, when I think about harmony, uh, one thing I think of is uh, you know the the strange looks I might get if I were to say to uh, a, a recovery group that we all we all exist in harmony because I've been to a lot of twelve step business meetings that didn't exactly feel like harmony. But the truth of the matter, is that underneath any disagreements, any contentions, whatever happened to be on the agenda for that group business meeting, underneath all that, the very fact that we were there, the fact that we care enough about this community to show up at the business meeting and to participate in the structure of the community, that's what really won the day. And so, you know, any seeming lack of harmony, headbutting, disagreements or whatever, that was just like, you know, some waves on the surface of the ocean. Uh, you don't have to go very far down to find the peace and the calm and the harmony that's there. So, I mean, I was I was pretty happy to realize that even though all these people are so different and even though we seem to see things very differently, um, there is a connection there and there's a harmony that binds us all together, even in the face of, of seeming um, differences or, um, you know, conflicts. Speaking of conflict, I was so conflict avoidant that I think it was probably two years before I ever agreed to participate or even attend those group conscience meetings that they talked about. I was terrified of, of the conflict that I heard of, but I didn't understand or know about this harmony that you're talking about at this deep level. You know, I didn't know how to disagree cordially with somebody, how to be kind about stating my opinion, you know, not how to pick fights and have to win, not have to be right all the time. You know, and and so, you know, learning that these things were possible, that's what I saw modeled in in those meetings that you were talking about. What comes to mind is that nobody ever said that everyone has to like everyone in order to have harmony and fellowship. And I know that that's true. And and um, we, we use we happen to use in my uh, second home group. Uh, a closing statement that comes from Al-Anon. 
And, and believe me, there was a great spirited discussion in some business meetings about whether we should be using a closing statement from Al-Anon. But it's so perfect, so beautiful. And one thing that it talks about is, um, you know, you may not like all of us, but you'll come to find that um, you love us each in a special way, just as we love you. Uh, such a strong and powerful statement of exactly what we're talking about. So it's not like everyone has to always be agreeable. It's not that everyone has to be on the same page with every uh, issue or question or likes and dislikes. Th that's not a requirement at all. What is, I think what, what does work is that um, everyone just being there and being willing to be in community with one another and being connected by this um, shared condition situation that we find ourselves in with addiction, that that's where the harmony comes from. And, the, and that love that we have for each other, that that closing statement refers to, um, definitely, um, you know, wins the day. In, in the face of all these seeming differences, and even if everyone doesn't always get along with everyone. And I had to learn that harmony is not just not fighting. You know, that there's a whole lot more to that. And, and part of it for me was learning that it's really what is, um, how can I cooperate for the good of the greater community? Whatever community I'm a being a part of, you know, how can I be cooperative? How can I be supportive? Um, you know, and it, and it brings me back to tolerance. A lot of times I only tolerated somebody's idea or somebody that was pretty annoying when they walked in the door. But, you know, they told me acceptance is the answer to all my problems. Well, I learned that acceptance would come a while later after I practiced tolerance. And then it took a while before I learned that I could be welcoming and even celebrate those differences. So I, there was this continuum of development for me about just just sitting and being and participating and supporting and engaging in this fellowship that we talked about. Yeah, that, there's great power in just what we call suiting up and showing up, you know, just being willing to be there, getting in the car, going to the meeting, walking in the door, saying hello, uh, sitting down. Uh, there's great power in that. And this harmony, I think, uh, develops over time for each of us differently. You know, it's it's there when we get there, whether we see it or not. And then uh, what I'm hearing you describe is that familiar process of becoming part of the harmony over time. And I find that part of it comes from familiarity. You know, there's that old saw that says familiarity breeds contempt. Well, familiarity breeds close relationships and out of close relationships can come conflict. Yes, of course, but also can come love and harmony. And that's what I see happening in uh, 12 step fellowship, uh, you know, in the healthy ones. I, I'm not going to say that every every group I've ever been to is a high functioning and healthy group, but most of them are. And there's harmony in there. You know, another factor for the fellowship for me was I, I walked in feeling less than, not as good as. Everybody else knew what was going on, and I'm kind of out in left field, and I feel alone and isolated because that's how I was when I walked in the door. And so learning that we have shared interests, including in one another, and that I'm no better and no worse than anyone else um, was another stop for me on this this journey from tolerance to accepting even myself was that you know and there's a line in the book that talks about that we're a worker among workers and a friend among friends that we are one among many 
And that was really important for me because I came in with a judgmental attitude because that's what helped me stay separate from everybody else. If I keep you over there because I've made a judgment about you, then I don't have to be vulnerable and I don't have to be connected. But that is exactly what kept me isolated and alone. Yeah, that's another great example of it works till it doesn't. I mean, there's a time when that was obviously really important and necessary. And then, of course, just like with the drinking, uh, the solution turns into a source of the problem. At least that was my experience. So I mentioned before how I had been slow to make friends. And I found that um, one way that that showed up for me in the communities is, is that I saw harmony developing as connections became more comfortable. So for me, the the longer that I'm around, uh, the more comfortable I become with the people, the I become I become trusting of them. You know, the scary looking biker guy is actually not a scary or mean person at all. I didn't know that until I had been around him long enough to see, you know, he was a safe person for me. I didn't he wasn't going to verbally attack me or put me down or anything. Uh, and so just being around, I found that uh, harmony develops as those connections became more comfortable, which was right in line with my lifelong, really, experience of um, being relatively slow to make friends. But I saw it. I saw it develop in a really wonderful way in the in the community. You know, that speaks to the judgmentalism I was talking about because I, when I walked in, first judged on external appearances, just as you were talking about, and so I had to learn to look past appearances. And that came from sitting in these uh, communities, sitting in the meetings, listening to what other people had to say and evaluating it against what I felt or knew to be true or truth, either one. And, um, and seeing then what, you know, you can see it in somebody's eyes. You can see the deadness in their eyes when they walk in the halls. And then you can see the light come on in their eyes and, and listen for these inspired words. You know, and, and another aspect of that was that was part of my responsibility. I had to learn what was my part in becoming a part of, what was mine to do. And for me, that was to participate. I had to quit sitting on the sidelines and waiting to be invited. And I had to, to get off, you know, my chair and go do something. I had to, to um, get involved. So... We're going to start there when we come back from the break, and we'd love to hear from you as we continue the conversation. The phone number is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation. Or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Eric Butterworth, taken from the live lecture, A Course in Practical Metaphysics. Healing is the experience in our life of coming out of 
the darkness into the light, getting out of the confusion of human consciousness into the allness which is always present. But the allness of infinite life is present even within the illness. So God is not a healer. He doesn't look down upon you and say, well, you're sick, but you're a good person and I like you very much, so I'm going to take this illness away from you. God doesn't take illness away from anybody, nor does God put illness into anyone, which belies a lot of traditional religious thought too. We talk about, well, suffered to be so, it's God's will, and I guess it's my place to accept it. The will of God must always be the ceaseless longing of the Creator to express itself in that which has created. So it's a constancy, it's a force, which is ever seeking to press itself out into visibility as life, as wholeness, as success. To find out more about Eric Butterworth, visit unity.org. Would you like to show your support for Unity Online Radio? You can donate easily on your phone by texting the word VOICE to 50555 and donate $10 to support Unity Online Radio. It's easy to do, and your offering will help us keep inspirational and positive programming on the air. Remember, just text the word VOICE to 50555 and support your favorite shows on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you might feel so alone with your problems, you don't know where to turn. We invite you to call Silent Unity, the 24-7 prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you every day at any hour. Listen and relax as you hear their beautiful words affirm the highest and best outcome for you and those you love. No matter what's going on in your life, Silent Unity is always standing by. Call today, 816-969-2000. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore and other legendary Unity teachers with Rev. Bob Brock and Unity Classic Radio. Every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Central, Bob shares original radio transcripts from the Unity Archives with Truth students worldwide. Explore these timeless teachings and learn how to apply them to your life today. Listen live or on demand. You can also connect with Reverend Bob on his Unity in Action Facebook page. Tune in every Tuesday here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We will resume our discussion in just a moment, but first we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. So prior to the break, we were discussing our experiences of feeling isolated, both generally in our early life and uh, pre-recovery and even in early recovery. Uh, And then we're talking about getting involved in our recovery communities. So Lonnie, now that we know the challenge is isolation and the solution is that harmony and fellowship we find in our communities. How exactly is it that that harmony and fellowship, fellowship brings us to freedom? I think it's magic. (laughs) I think it is magic. You know, the first few times that I heard the promises read and they then they said, um, you know, fear of people and of economic insecurity would leave us. I thought they got to be kidding. Mm -hmm. You know, I had lived with those fears for so much of my life. I had 
no idea how that was ever going to happen. You know, and I, I have a story about fear of people. I can remember at one of my career changes, um, I was looking at that that book. It's been out since the late 70s called What Color Is Your Parachute? And it sorted, um, you, you answered a whole lot of questions, and it would sort your preferences into categories. You were a people person, you were a data person, or you were a process and thing kind of person. And I went through, and because of my fear-based orientation, I fell out into the data person type of, of category. And I thought, yes, I don't have to interact with people. I don't have to be, I don't have to be um, uh, in conversation. I don't have to manage people. And I was a manager at the time. And I don't have, and so I started looking for that kind of a job. And so, you know, that fear drove my decisions around career even, let alone friends and, and family and other things. And so when that fear started dropping away, it was like it was, it was magic. Yeah, I do love the promises, and I heard people talking about how much they love the promises long before I ever really even got it. I mean, I heard them in all of that, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't, I don't have fear of economic insecurity. Oh, yes, I did, but I was not in touch with those things. You know, that's part of what um, drinking helped me with when it was still helpful was that uh, I could just generally feel more comfortable in my life. The things that I, I was afraid of, like, you know, not having enough uh, money or whatever it might be, it sort of seemed to ease those things. You know, in, in, in when you open the show, you talked about how loneliness is an epidemic in our society. And I have seen that, you know, we have lots of information, you know, we're, if, we're t if we're talking about information, then we're all in a sense, very well connected. But what I don't see so much is a, a heart connection. And I'd heard it described, uh, someone said, we're connected, but not committed. And there are lots of casual interactions, but I know that our spirit really needs deep and authentic contact. So when I think about how, you know, how is it that harmony and fellowship and practicing it in the ways that we were talking about, in the ways that we will talk about, how does that harmony and fellowship lead me out of that place of isolation and into a, the place of freedom that it has led me? And I think it's because, at least in part, um, it doesn't allow me to think that those kind of information connections are the kind of connections that I need to, to be the best person I can be in the world. And that I learn uh, how to have heart connection by showing up uh, at the meetings, by listening to others and being inspired by them, by realizing, like we were talking about before, by realizing that there is harmony here, even when on the surface it seems like there's conflict. The harmony is what makes it so the even if there were a contentious meeting uh that the next meeting guess what the doors open the coffee's made the people are back everyone's glad to see you that's harmony it outlives and outlasts any particular thing that might have come up along the way and so i really feel like i've been led out of that sense of isolation and into a real sense of freedom um by the simplest ways that our 12-step uh, communities function. Uh, that, that's how I see harmony and fellowship kind of being the path, if you will, from isolation to freedom in my experience. 
You know, when I arrived, I was not looking for tools and I was not looking for information. I was looking for relief. And the relief that I was looking for comes through feeling understood and having companionship. And I was looking for approval too, you know, for even being around, being on this planet. And to me, those three things, understanding companionship and approval is the type of support that I received in this community when I walked in the door. Um, I, I saw other people being willing to be known, being willing to be vulnerable, and trusting me when I couldn't trust others. They would share stories at the table that I'd go, oh my God, you're talking about that? You know, <laughs> and, and, um, and I'd find out that, oh, okay, guess what? That's a common experience. And I started uh, losing that feeling of isolation and terminal uniqueness as we talk about, you know, and that uh, I am just like everybody else here at the table. And, and that came not even before, you know, I wasn't even practicing step work at that point in time. It, there was just a comfort of being enveloped in this understanding, supportive community that's all walking the same path. Yeah, I, I remember those experiences, and they still happen. You know, people, like you just said, willing to share things where, you know, especially as a generally introverted person and generally private uh, person that, you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe you just told everyone in this room that you did this uh, embarrassing thing or that embarrassing thing. And then we all laughed about it together. And I realized, wow, you know, th th these these folks are serious about sharing who they are here. And it really is okay to be exactly who you are in this group. I see it in all these other people. So one of the things that I experienced early was that I was invited places. I was invited after the meeting to go out for ice cream, and I was invited by friends to um, to go to a weekend watch party to watch the football game. Um, you know, and I'm going, well, who are these people inviting me? Why are they inviting me? You know, they they um, they don't know me very well. I was invited to somebody's Thanksgiving celebration. It turned out that they had this had um, a dinner for all the people that were otherwise unattached at Thanksgiving, and they had the whole big dinner. And I was invited to that, and so I found that that by um, being willing to participate and just go along, somebody invites me, okay, I go. You know that I I started to become more comfortable with people. I got to know them outside of the the rooms as well, and I learned that people are just people, and I am just like them. And I learned to be to open up a little bit, to become a little bit more trusting. You know, in Unity, we talk a lot about our spiritual practices, and I found that uh, the way that harmony and fellowship show up and, and help lead me to freedom, I might more accurately call it pursuit of harmony, because it's not always necessarily uh, present, or maybe call it practicing harmony, just like we practice the presence of God uh, in our meditations. And so I can see just uh, showing up and being part of the group and, and sort of letting it unfold, like in the ways that you were just describing, as a spiritual practice of pursuing harmony or practicing harmony. And of course, what happens when we do that is that we have, uh, you know, greater and greater experiences of exactly that thing, that thing that we're practicing increases in our lives. 
And so my conclusion is that community heals in so many ways, all the ways that we're talking about, you know, and uh, in, in what I would call a true spiritual community, I always feel accepted and not rejected. You know, I feel supported, you know, and part of that for me was learning to work the steps. It was this common practice that everybody in the group was doing. Everybody went, pretty much everybody went through the process and this, um, this experience of in particular, step five, learning that I'm really no different than anybody else, that that other people have done the same thing I've done, and that when I share these deep, dark secrets, that I start losing that sense of isolation, and the loneliness starts starts uh, drifting away, you know, because I finally realize that I am but one among many. I am just another one of the human race. You know, I get this sense of belonging when I, when I understand and when people understand me. And there's that common camaraderie because of that. You know, I'm sitting here uh, realizing a way that never occurred to me to this moment uh, about the kind of freedom that we can find uh, in recovery. You and I have both talked about how, uh, you know, we didn't want to be talking about these personal things that were going on, and we can't believe that these people are sharing this stuff. And look at what you and I are doing right now. How on earth did I get from not even wanting to walk into a meeting because somebody might find out that I had a problem with alcohol to, to broadcasting it in great detail to anyone who cares to listen literally on this entire planet? That is freedom. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, which which brings me to the thought about shame, you know, uh, a deep sense of defectiveness of who I am as a person. You know, I had that in spades whenever I walked in the door and the recovery process has has given me freedom from shame, freedom from from those thinking patterns, freedom from the patterns, both thinking and behavior that took me there. I got that largely from the people uh, in the in the rooms. I remember uh, distinctly, and I always will, my very first home group experience where I just shared that story about being afraid someone might know me. And of course, the first person I see, I know, you know, socially or acquainted at least, and how my horror turned to delight when I realized uh, how much we had in common and I saw that connection develop instantly. I remember that particular home group um, as being a a particular, it was very joyful place. There was often a lot of laughing. You know, if you were standing outside in the hallway, you might think that it was a comedy club or something. Like you didn't know what was going on in the room, the way that people were sharing things, the, the, you know, really clever, wry and sharp, uh, self-deprecating humor that we can develop uh, in recovery when we know that what we're saying is ridiculous and we know that we look horrible when we say it, but it's just so uh, crazy and fun that, you know, you, you say something and everyone bursts out laughing. You know, I remember saying once that, um, you know, and then I was, I was pretty new in recovery. So my, you know, my pre-recovery experiences were fresh in my mind that, um, that I got to the point where uh, my drinking had gotten so bad that even I knew that I had a problem. The whole room busted out. Everyone knows exactly what that feels like and what that means. We are, we're the last one to know. Everyone there knows and had that experience of being the last one to know. We can all laugh about it together. So I, I loved the way that the harmony and connection showed up uh, the fellowship showed up 
um, in that first home group in the joy that we all had in how ridiculous that we were. You know, it, it, we were just so comfortable uh, being real is what it is, being real and being known and being seen. You know, which which brings up authenticity. You know, it's it's really hard to be authentic when we don't know who we are. And I certainly didn't know who I was when I came in the rooms until I started identifying. I started identifying with ex- things exactly like what you talked about, where somebody would say something, I'd spontaneously laugh about it going, oh man, that's me. You know, and I and I started being able to sort these things out. And with the help of my sponsor and other mentors at the time, I was able to identify patterns that I could be free of. You know, it, it brought the unconscious to the conscious and I could begin making conscious choices around my behavior and around my thinking patterns instead of, um, as as Charles Fillmore would call it, the error thoughts that I had embedded in my life and that I was trapped by. And so that's one of the ways that I, I uh, went to freedom you know, through this harmony and fellowship was through um, learning what are these error thoughts that I have? What are the, what, what does my insanity look like? And guess what? It looks like a lot of other people's and now I can recognize it. I can't see it in me, but I can see it when you say it. Uh, Yeah. This is reminding me how much, um, how compatible, how wonderful the whole unity movement and unity way of seeing and being in the world, the the unity spirituality, if you will, how perfectly it fits with recovery spirituality. And I'm so grateful, you know, I, I had discovered unity before I got sober, even, you know, like more than five years before I got sober. I didn't make all the connections that I did later. You know, I didn't start seeing uh, people that I knew from or that I saw, I can't say I knew them, that I saw in, in my Sunday morning Unity Church service, I would then see at my evening recovery group meeting. You know, So the connections were there and they grew over time. But just like that concept of error thought that you shared, you know, the first time I heard that, I mean, uh, admittedly, it's a, it's a very nerdy way to describe things. I'm just going to say it. You know, running around talking about error thought is a very nerdy spiritual approach, but it's dead on. It, just like you said, it gives me the language and the concepts and the understanding to realize that, oh, you know, there's a lot of stuff flying around in my head. Some of it's helpful, some of it not so much. Hey, I can begin to distinguish the helpful from the not so helpful, and I get these tools that help me to mitigate and to shift the way that I perceive and show up in the world. Uh, I just can n- never say enough wonderful things about the unity movement, and I'm so grateful that I, you know, I, I was acquainted with the unity movement. We were fr- we weren't friends yet, but we were acquaintances. Um, when I got sober, and then after I got sober, man, it, it just became a central focus. I'm, I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about the concepts, the way of seeing, the way of being, the way of shifting consciousness. All of those things that we have in unity were front and center as far as my recovery and my spiritual growth and absolutely leads to freedom. I can remember when I first heard the phrase stinking thinking, and I wasn't sure what that meant. And I remember when I connected it to error thought, to that concept of error thought. But it took a while for me to understand that when in the program people would say, change your thoughts, 
you know, that that what meant shift my consciousness. And I didn't know how to do that. How do you shift your consciousness? You know, it's not like a, a five speed, you know, that, <laughs> that you put the clutch in and here you go and you're in a different gear, you know. And so one of the things that I learned how to do was I picked up things like that and I would ask questions, but I don't ask questions in the group. This pushed me to develop personal relationships. Somebody would say something and I would I would be curious enough and, or desperate enough, depending on one, what it was, the topic was, that I would pursue a conversation and I would say, hey, you know, you, you mentioned this in the meeting and I really I would really like to know more about that. What are you talking about? How does this work for you? How, what, what do you? how do you apply that? How do you know which tool? You know, we talk in the, in the program about our spiritual toolkit, that we pick up our spiritual toolkit. Well, I had no clue as to what is, was in the spiritual toolkit because, you know, when I got there, the hammer was the only thing I had. You know, you beat <laughs> it down. You beat it down, and that's, that's the tool that I had. And so learning how to use these other tools was, was critical. I'm not sure that I still even know how all that works. Um, it, it almost feels like, you know, answering the question, well, how do you grow a beautiful flower? Well, you, you need some dirt and water and you need the right kind of seeds, and but not too much water, but not, not enough water. It needs sunshine, but not too much sun. So you balance these conditions and then the flower shows up. Now, did I make the flower? No, I didn't. But I did learn what I needed to know to create the conditions for the flower to arrive. And that's how I feel like this spiritual toolkit and this um, shifting of consciousness. I can't reach out and do it, but I can learn and I have learned and I can practice um, creating the conditions for these things to happen, you know, just like the flower, naturally, that's above my pay grade, if you will. I don't know how that works. I don't need to know how that works. In fact, it's really none of my business, unless I'm interested in biology, and that would be fine. But I don't need to know how the flower works. I just need to know how to create the conditions. And so learning that stuff from being in the environment. So again, now we're talking about fellowship and the harmony that we experience there. Just being in the environment was an important part of, without even realizing it, learning to create those conditions because they were kind of pre-created for me. The group itself, what were, you know, modeled the conditions for spiritual growth, even when I didn't even know what that looked like. Um, but just showing up and, and like you're saying, learning to be one of the bunch, you know, I'm just going to show up and and learn from other people and and share when it's appropriate for me to share. And what I'm slowly but surely uh, I'm learning to create the conditions for consciousness shifting again, you know, using all this technical nerdy jargon. Uh, it's it's watching the flower grow. And so you, you made a really good point that these conditions were created for us. And at some point, we have to learn to create our own internal conditions. And that was about the, the toolkits for me. And, and it, it's still true today. You know, what, what creates these conditions? Um, when somebody calls me today and, and has a dilemma, I say, well, how long has it been since you've been to a meeting in the environment, you know, to, to support them in the next step? And then the next question has to do with spiritual practices. And this is what I go through myself is, you know, prayer, meditation, reaching out to others, 
you know, reviewing whatever's going on in my head with somebody that can give me a reality check, reading spiritual literature, you know, all of those things are creating the internal conditions. That's the work that I have to do. It's real easy to show up for a while at a meeting or a spiritual community and expect to absorb things, you know, by osmosis. But but there's a point in time where that is saturated. And now it's time to do the internal work. And those are the tools that I got in Unity. The 12 powers, you know, the five principles, uh, a number of those things that then got me off of off of uh, dead center. Yeah, it sounds like you had a very similar experience and uh, in the ways that the, the unity concepts and principles really align with and support um, our our addiction recovery. It's just continues to amaze me. Um, another way I found that creates conditions for harmony, uh, continuing with that way of seeing, is just simply listening, you know, learning to listen. Going to a, a community meeting, going to a fellowship uh, meeting, and just listening to what other people were saying, not, you know, worrying about, well, what am I going to say if it comes around to me? What if they call on me? Um, not trying to think about, well, I can't say this because they said that and it's sort of the same thing, but really just listening to what people are saying, uh, that in itself and realizing that many other people in the room are doing exactly that. Just that simple act of listening, uh, really is a powerful way to create conditions for harmony and, and seemingly an invisible way, you know, um, and I have to share this quote. Uh, before we move on to our uh, call to action, that we are people who normally would not mix, but there exists among us a fellowship, a friendliness, and an understanding which is indescribably wonderful. I could not put it in any better words. That says it exactly. That's right. But now let us move into action. Uh, Unity's fifth principle states, it's not enough to know these truths, we must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something that you can do to move from isolation to freedom using harmony and fellowship. So think of a way that you might be isolating yourself from others. Perhaps you're reluctant to share with others how you really feel. Or maybe you spend too much time watching TV or vegging out on the internet. Or do you have a fear of being vulnerable? Or maybe you just hold back waiting to be invited. What's important now is just to pick one thing, preferably a, a simple thing, to take into a time of prayer and meditation. So we simply relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle, and we're going to just let it be easy. So for an example, let's use a fear of being vulnerable. So we use a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial, to deny any power to the fear of sharing oneself with others. You could say something like, fear of being seen is not the truth of who I am. Repeat it a few times in your head or even aloud, but say it with conviction. Fear of being seen is not the truth of who I am. And follow that up immediately with a bold, positive affirmation of a new experience. You could say, I am an important part of the whole. I share of myself with confidence, and I welcome my newfound freedom. And then just take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. Just breathe into it for a few minutes and give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. And once again, 
Fear of being seen is not the truth of who I am. I'm an important part of the whole I share of myself with confidence, and I welcome my newfound freedom. So we've come to the end of our time here today, and we hope you found something that can help you on your recovery path, and we both bless you on your journey. Thank you to our listeners, and thank you so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for the insights that were shared in our discussion today. Listeners, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.